Welcome to the Perfect First Layer Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast where we answer questions from you, the 3D printing community. My name is Guy Dunlap from Guy's Shop, and with me today, as always, are my co-hosts, JJ and Nathan. Hey, guys. Hello. Hello. Hey. We do depend on your questions for this podcast, so if you have one for our panel, please go to perfectfirstlayer.com and go to the submit page to send it. We also have a Patreon. And we only have one level right now. We're simply asking for a small donation to help keep this podcast going. So please go to worldwidewebpatreon.com slash perfectfirstlayer. So as always, we're going to talk about what we've got going on in our individual labs. Uh, JJ, what do you have going on right now? I see a Uh, box back there. Bunch of printing. A new Ender 5 S1 showed up yesterday. So I'll be unboxing and putting that through its paces this week. What about you, Nathan? You're getting ready for yeah, a trip. Uh, I've got, uh, I've kind of been uh, struggling with my data setup. So I think I lost, I thought I lost some footage and I ended up spending like a whole couple of days trying to recover it from an SD card. But it turned out I just had it in a bag somewhere. So I, <laughs> I needed a mental break from content creation after that whole ordeal. Oh, I bet. Yeah. So, well, all three of us are going to have an under five. What, what, you know, what's your honest impressions of it, Nathan? Well, I did a video about it already. Mm -hmm. And what I said there is what I truly believe in that it's the best ender printer that Creality has ever made. But is it too little too late? I think that's the big question. Yeah. Yeah. I was talking to, JJ before the show started and I noticed in the the skin version of Cura, their profiles the only one that actually works is their PLA profile if you try to use their PETG or their ABS or anything like that the temperatures are all off, the fan speeds are off don't use them at all so, for example, the, the PET-G was, the temperature was 215 on the nozzle and 60 degrees on the bed with 100% fan cooling. Yeah, that's not going to work out very well for you. No, it was a big, stringy, globby mess. Um, and it didn't stick to the bed. It was, I, I lost a couple pieces on this, this plate of parts I was printing. So, so um, I installed a sonic pad onto mine. Mm-hmm. And I was having issues with it remembering the uh, mesh bed leveling correctly. So I wasn't really? getting a perfect first layer. <laughs> <laughs> Which is important for us. Right. Yeah, I, I installed the Sonic Pad on mine. I've uninstalled it since. Um, mainly because I've got to start fresh when I, I've got to do a video for it. But uh, I wasn't real happy with the clipper settings on it. I had a lot of problems with it. I think it's the environment that I'm printing in. I'm printing it at my garage, which is a constant about 60 degrees in there. So it's it's you know, like 17, 18 degrees Celsius in the ambient room temperature. So I think it's it's having a hard time with it. I'm getting a lot of zits and under extrusions and such on the PLA, even if just printing it, you know, 100 millimeters per second. Yeah. Well, um, on the topic of um, like what we've been working on in our labs, I've been kind of rethinking my content strategy because I've got so many printers in that just aren't very good. 
And what I want to do moving forward is be more of like a curator of 3D printers for, for review. And a lot of the times the best 3D printers, they don't want to send them out for free or it's harder to get those units. But at this point, I'm kind of tired of spending a ton of time reviewing like a 3D printer that isn't very good. And yeah. it's just kind of a waste of everyone's time because these videos are basically advertisements getting the word out that this printer exists. And if I'm getting the word out on a printer that I don't think is very good, what's the point of spending all that time uh, putting that out there? You know, no, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly, you know, from the, the woodworking side of things, it's all that, you know, demo stuff and video reviews and, you know, projects. It's a completely different animal than it is in the 3d printing space. And everybody, everybody in the world wants to send you free stuff. And you just have to say, you just say, no, I say no a lot. You know, we want to send you this tool. Can you, no, can you do a video? No, no, I'm just not going to do it. So I was very, very selective on which manufacturers I went with. Uh, I still get a lot of people contacting me, asking me to do this, that, and the other thing. I just, I just won't do it. I think one of the reasons for that is with 3D printers, there's a pretty low barrier of entry to be able to figure out how to run a 3D printer. So there's a lot more people that can make content for it. So if you're a, a 3D printer beginner out there and you're thinking about making a YouTube channel, I'd say go for it and ask for free stuff. You'll probably be able to get it. <laughs> but um, like once your channel starts to grow, then it doesn't really make sense to be doing free stuff anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Well, especially if you're doing, you know, like five different videos on, you know, like, uh, for example, that, that Tronxy crux thing, a little small, you know, 100, 120 by 120, whatever it is, there's a bunch of them out there. And I see hundreds of different videos reviewing that thing. And it's like, how many video reviews of it do you need out there? Really? Um, yeah it's it's just mind-boggling so anyways we've we've lost jj for a little bit here he's trying to log back in so hopefully he'll he'll come back in a in a minute yeah um so i think in terms of the content creators that i trust the most with my for recommendations i would say the medium-sized are the ones that i really value their opinions the most because a lot of the really big 3D printer channels only do paid reviews, or it seems like they only do paid reviews. I don't know. Maybe they they aren't getting paid. They say they, say they don't. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, they're oddly positive about all these printers, <laughs> which is like... I agree. In my opinion, it's like, if you're not having a negative experience with a 3D printer, that's either like uh, a 3D printer sent from the heavens, or it's just you're being overly optimistic and not truthfully representing the 3d printer experience yeah yeah I, I i agree i mean nothing's perfect i still haven't run into anything but i don't have the the amount of experience with these machines that that you guys have um so jj's back <laughs> it's all right it's all right so let's let's yes, talk I'm about back. sorry i missed that models conversation there where we get them, how we get them, do we adjust them for our own needs, do we create our own models, exactly what do we do? So 
Nathan, I'm going to ask you first, where, where's your first stop if you're looking for something? Let's say you're looking for this widget for a certain printer. What's your first, first go-to? Well, my first, uh, my first stop is usually I just head over to JJ's channel because he's posting a lot of great <laughs> models to print out. Uh, so yeah, I'd say if you don't know what you want to print, find someone who's curating so models things. Yeah. and uh, sharing them. I think JJ's got a great page for that. Um, but if you're looking for something specific, you can try looking on Thingiverse and things. And, um, there's like a whole list of different, um, 3d printer model sites. Sure. And I just kind of type in search results and see if I can find anything. Sometimes I'll look in Google, but usually if you want something too specific, which is usually what I want, like I want like a bracket for this specific printer, then mm -hmm. I'll have to make my own models. Okay. What about, what about you, JJ? Where's your, where's your go-to? Where do you, where's your first stop on the road? I've switched over to using printables by Prusa. Um, their online catalog, I think is the best, the best website, the best well laid out things. Um, they're all good models on there. Um, I think it's the best place for finding new, interesting things. That's where I always go to first. Um, but then if I need something more specific, then I usually go to Thangs. I think they have the best search engine on there because you can search across a bunch of different platforms. And then last would be Thingiverse. I feel like Thingiverse has been just going downhill in the last yes. several years of quality of files on there. But it does have the largest catalog of files on there. Something old or something or you, very you specific. You go there and you, you hit the I button and it just hangs. But then Thingiverse's search engine uh, isn't even all that good. It's frustrating. So then, I'm... yeah, yeah, yeah. I use I go to Yegi or the download page -E hasn't been working for some reason. Com or... quite a bit, and it's uh, just a search engine, and it searches across all those things. If I'm looking for something really specific, if I'm looking for new and interesting stuff. I agree with you, JJ. I go to printables quite a lot. Um, it's a very high quality website, but there's a bunch of them out there like cults. 3d is another one. It just never works. Mm -hmm. You just, it's just, everything just hangs forever and ever. Yeah. Cults and, yeah. um, Thingiverse, I tend to have the most problems with. Yeah. Yeah, and they they. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, one thing about I like Thangs over Yegi just because of the it web does. interface layout. I agree with you. Yegi looks like a. I agree with you. I don't, I don't, low budget website. <laughs> just like yeah, how I don't think they've out. updated Very Yegi basic. and uh, Thangs <laughs> feels like something. But it I can does trust work well as a search engine. <laughs> It's fast. It indexes a lot of stuff on Thingiverse that you click on and just nothing happens, mm -hmm. which yeah. is always fun. Um, but I also like that it shows what's free and what's mm -hmm. paid yeah. and has thumbnails. And it usually loads pretty quick. Um, so moving into the, mm -hmm. the side of making your own models, mm -hmm. um, usually I'll, I'll model things up in Fusion 360. And I think the most useful thing to have if you're going to start making your own CAD models is a pair of calipers. 
So you can measure things and see what they are in reality and then import those dimensions into your CAD models. Yeah. Yeah. Do you usually start from scratch or do you modify things quite a bit? I don't usually modify other people's models just because there's so much baggage from their design process that might still be there where if you start from scratch, you get kind of a blank slate. And I find that the best way to do a solid model is to do a sketch first. So just pencil and paper. And then um, once you've kind of got an idea of what you want, it's a lot easier to go into the CAD model and then start building, uh, start building up from there. What about you, JJ? Yeah, so I've switched over to using Blender as my from editing software um, because I first started trying to mm-hmm. use Fusion 360 because that's the most recommended and it has a free version. But the for editing file, I so often want to edit a file and just make slight tweaks here or there or make a gap bigger between two parts. And in Fusion 360, I was just having more difficulty doing that. And then when you import a large STL in Fusion 360, it just bogs down and slows down so much. At least in the, I think it's because the free version doesn't fully utilize your computer's GPU to like do things like that. Um, Is that right? Well, in Fusion 360, it's kind of a, um, a solid modeling program first and a 3d modeling program. Second, you might kind of think that those are two separate things. Yeah. I mean, you might kind of think that those are kind of the same thing, but really they're two separate things. So Blender was kind of built to build um, 3D graphics for like movies and video games versus Fusion and SolidWorks and those other systems were were more designed around making parts that you're going to actually machine out of a block of material or build a car out of. Um so it, they're, they're kind of different purposes. And I think Blender is probably a lot better at dealing with large models with a lot of faces, like and importing STLs and modifying them. So Blender's pretty good. And there's also Mesh Mixer by Autodesk that um, I've used before. Uh, it was kind of any CAD program that you get into is kind of hard to use at first, but you kind of have to figure out how to do it just because CAD modeling is an inherently difficult problem. Yeah. Uh, I use, yeah. go ahead, Jake. Jay. Yeah. Oh, just like the differences between Blender. I feel like, yes, for someone who was like a mechanically, classically CAD trained, they would not like Blender. Blender does have some add-ins that make it more CAD-like, but it so much is a mesh modeling, which I think just makes sense in my brain of like, I have got this, have this object and I just want to move this wall a little bit instead of thinking more of a parametric, I want this to be 10 millimeters and this five millimeters. It's like I do, but it's just a different way of thinking of it. Um, and Blender being open source, there's so much added plugins that help with little yeah, things. I've, I've used SketchUp for probably, probably 15 or 16 years. And then Google, I used it before some other company started it, sold it to Google, then Google sold it to Tremble, and now they've gotten rid of pretty much the free version, which is just a web-based program. It's very, very limited. Um, I tried Fusion 360, and there's some things I like about Fusion 360. I'll get that in a second. 
but I use SketchUp Pro. And there's a couple reasons. It does STLs very well. It also has, and you touched on it before, which is parametric capability. For anybody out there that doesn't know what parametric is, let's say you build this box and you can say, I want this, you know, you build the model and then you put parameters in the coding for it that says, you know, you can have the length variable, the width variable, the height variable, the wall thickness variable, the bottom thickness variable, all these different parameters in there. And you can just get this basic model done and then say, okay, I want it just a little bit bigger. And instead of remodeling it, you just change the parameters and it automatically just does it. Um, SketchUp Pro does that now. I don't know exactly when they added it, but maybe within the last couple of years because of Fusion 360. There's a lot of models you can download that are on, you know, printables, Thingiverse, so forth, so on. They'll say right in there, parametric. And if you do that, you just hit the modify button in Fusion 360. That's where Fusion 360, I really like for that. But I can't use it from scratch because it's just too damn complicated. None of it makes sense to me because I have SketchUp brain. (laughs) It sounds like a disease. It is. It is. Well, you, it's just like anything you get used to a certain thing and you, well, you have to understand I do CAD for half my job. I'm on the production floor for five hours a day. And then I do all the design and engineering work in CAD for the furniture we make at work for, you know, that's, that's my other half of the day. So I do it every day and I'm just so used to that certain way of doing things in a certain workflow. I tried Fusion 360 and it was just like, ah, forget this. It's just, it's too much. Um, but anyways, I really like the parametric stuff. Nathan was asking me about a box that I, I made that I showed in one of my videos. That was a parametric thing. You can make it any size you want just by changing a couple things, which is very cool. Have you ever yeah. tried that, JJ? The, I've done parametric modeling, but not that uh, where you can go back and change it type thing. Because most of mine now has moved to Blender, and I feel like I've gotten yep. used. Once it's whatever you get used to. I tried after you know learning Blender. I tried SketchUp for something. Some other YouTuber was recommending it for something, and so I tried it. And just like the movement and controls of it are just just enough different that it kept throwing me off. And I was like, okay, I'll go back to what I understand. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Blender's free, yeah. right? Or do you have to pay for that? Okay. Yes. Yeah, it's free. It's all an open source. I might source have to get it and give it a thing. shot. It's great for, for that, for modifying STLs. You just pull it in and then you can pull vertices and move nope. things around. Um, and there's another really good YouTuber, Maker Tales. He does a bunch about parametric modeling inside of blender and these sort of cad like add-ons and stuff which i still need to dig into the way i think about it is with blender it's kind of like you're working with a ball of clay and you can just kind of pull whatever you want and push it around versus with solidworks or or, uh, fusion 360 you're kind of like building with legos and it's like very rigid rules and blocks and stuff 
Um, yeah. Fusion does have like a, they call it Fusion because it's supposed to be a combination between solid modeling and surface modeling, which is more like giving you those smooth edges. But um, most people use it, just the solid modeling part of Fusion 360. Yeah. Um, another program that I think is really interesting that I'd like to use more is, um, it's like OpenCAD or something. Do you know what, what I'm talking about? Let me let me I've heard of that one. Program. Yeah, yeah Teach right. Tech did a, a couple of videos on it. It's like Open something. I yeah, OpenSCAD. I just I just Open looked it SCAD. up. But I downloaded a model off of Thingiverse or Yegi. I don't know where I got it, but it was an OpenSCAD file, and you open it up, and it gives you this whole interface to control this one model. So um, the model was a Christmas ornament, and you could just type in whatever you wanted, and you could change the uh, decorations that were around the perimeter, and you um, and you just hit enter, and it would recompile the model. Just like in software, like people write code mm -hmm. and then it compiles it into your your computer program. But in this case, it compiles it into your 3D model. So it makes it really easy to change, uh, like build in a lot of flexibility into a model. Can it export as STL mm -hmm. or save as STL? Yeah, you can export as an STL. And um, I thought it was pretty interesting because like if you download something on Thingiverse, usually it's just one thing. And if you wanted to customize it with putting a name tag or something on it, then you'd have to go into a, another program and you'd have to know how to use it to some degree. But with OpenSCAD, I just opened up the file and there's like a text box and I just typed in whatever I wanted the ornament to say. And hmm. I could uh, reconfigure it really easily. That's cool. That's cool. Well, that, that's parametrics. That's exactly yeah, what that is. It, it's kind of, I kind of mm -hmm. view it as being like halfway in between. Um, uh, like CAD modeling, but also having a bunch of automation built into it. So mm -hmm. it's an interesting thing. Automation is nice. <laughs> it's always nice. <laughs> but let's talk about yeah. the free stuff. I mean, I've, I've, I came from, like I said, uh, SketchUp, which was free for a number of years. It's the, the real version of it's not free. It's like $300 a year, which isn't, which isn't bad, but I, you know, my boss might be listening to this. I doubt it. But I, I use the license I have from work. You know, so I, I don't pay anything for it. Um, but I know there's a lot of free stuff out there. There's another one online. It's a, like Tinkercad. Yeah, Tinkercad it's very, one. very simple. Very basic. Have you got... But great for... That's the one I always recommend to people... Or if like for kids who want to get into it, um, for mm -hmm. my like nieces and nephews being like, oh, if you want to like try, it's very basic sort of like putting blocks together and then subtracting blocks away. Um, so there's not as much you could do with it, but for going in there and adding a nameplate on something, super easy to do um, and free and all on the web page yeah. and stuff like that. I tried it once. I believe it or not, I couldn't figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> It's that uh, SketchUp brain. It is the SketchUp brain. It's SketchUp brain. Yeah. But I mean, I, I did. I had a, a recent thing where I was trying to mount the accelerometer on my Ender 5S1, and none of the models it comes with mm -hmm. or they make fit that model. So I took one that fit the Ender 
3S1, and I made a bunch of modifications to it. You know, it took me about a half an hour, and uh, it was nice. It was nice to be able to do that. So it's a nice snug fit. Yep. Getting back to that Ender 3S1, uh, it's kind of half-baked, I think. There's a lot of things that need to, you, like, it's not fully released, but they're selling it. So, um, I know you speak very highly of it in your videos. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's the one I get so many comments, people saying, I'm going to get an Ender 3. <laughs> I'm like, why? Why would you? I've never tried an Ender 3, but I've only heard mixed reviews. Well, you, get, you, you get one, and the first thing you have to do is, you know, a, a dozen upgrades to it just to get it to work right. It doesn't mm -hmm. make a lot of sense to me. It's a hazing experience. <laughs> I feel like it's only popular because it's popular. And like, that's the most continual, like, oh, other people have it. So when I have issues, I can have other yeah. people to go to. The problem is you I will would say have that issues. it's popular because they Creality really was pushing the envelope forward like five or uh, three mm -hmm. to five years ago. But they're yet another company that creates some great innovation and then doesn't follow up as well as people would like them to. Uh, there's a, a lot of that in the 3D printing industry and there's a lot of that in basically every industry you look at. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I look at the the... The industry I'm in, you know, it's the woodworking industry, and uh, whew, it's a real mix. It's like, well, we've been doing it this way. We've everybody's been doing it this way for 150 years, so that's the way we're going to continue doing it. It's like, no, let's try doing it this way because it's faster, it's better, and it's cheaper. No, we're just going to do it the old way because that's the way it's been done for generations. Blah 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 blah. That's kind of weird, but you, you, and, and the 3D, we talked about it last, last episode where it's a, it's a race to the bottom. How many features can I put on a machine and how cheap can I make it? And you would think that's good for the consumer, but myself, I don't think it's good for the consumer. It, it puts a lot of machines out there where the expectations are set very high at a very inexpensive price. And they're not the, the machines don't meet those expectations. Does that make I feel sense? Like that's what my my King Rune KP3S Pro. I've been trying to put Clipper on it, and it's a new MCU chip on the board, and so I'm struggling to get it to communicate with it. And it should, according to other people online, um, and I I don't know actually if that's the issue, but of companies switching components out midway through a production cycle. And so you've got half the printers with some components and half with other components. And so compatibility between them or finding help online um, just when, gets more confusing with that. You look at the Ender 3S1 and their Sonic Pad. For you to use that thing, you actually have to pull the cover off of it and figure out you know, which MCU you have, which processing unit you have, because they have four or five different ones. Right. <laughs> it's insane. <laughs> It's crazy. We really got off the, the track here. We were talking about modeling yeah. and stuff, but that's okay. That's okay. I did I did download the model of the cover for the modder board that you did, Nathan. 
All right. I can't, I can't figure out the difference between the two. They look identical. Oh, <laughs> is one a little bit bigger? Oh yeah. Right. There's one that's uh, for tolerancing issues. So people have their printers tuned in a little bit different. So um, I, I made two of them and one of them is like 0.1 millimeters wider <laughs> because when you have a slip fit, you need it to be pretty precise. Yeah. I was looking, I was like, these things are the same damn size. All right, we'll see which one fits and then throw the other one in the recycling bin. There you go. There you go. Which one fits the Ender 5 S1? Um, they should both fit because they they slip onto the board itself. So how often do you find yourself? I know you you'd probably do a lot of CAD modeling, Nathan, because you're doing a lot of mods. I know it's mm-hmm. like the first thing you do is get it, pull it apart and make it better. Well, in your eyes, make it better, maybe. Um, (laughs) But um, you figure out you're going to mod something. I mean, how often do you create things just from nothing on on those mods? Probably about once per printer. The best mods are ones that you can do without having to do any design work. So just like unscrew something and then drill a couple holes in it and attach something onto the side. Like I prefer to do things that way. But um, I think when you do um, a full 3D model and then upload that online, then you're kind of doing the community a service because then it makes it easier for other people to follow. Because sure. someone could watch my video where I drill like four random holes in something and then bolt something to the side of the printer. But if they can just print something out and then attach it to the existing holes, then I think that's going to be a lot more applicable to a lot more people. Sure. So I'm, I'm actually going to be modeling a new fan duct for the uh, Ender 5S one, just because I feel like the one that it comes with isn't super good. Really? Yeah. I mean, it does the job, but if it runs into anything, it's going to snap off, (laughs) which is kind of an issue for a 3D printer. Like if anything goes wrong and then it bumps into a model that's kind of lifted up or something, and then the whole printer basically breaks down, that's not like a... A good design. I had two fans break off the longer LK4X at a failed print, and both fan ducts are now snapped off. Yeah, really? were they 3D printed? Yeah, they were just 3, 3D printed okay. on there. That's wow. kind of the issue with 3D printed uh, designs is a lot of designers don't take the, like they get the shape right, but they don't get the strength right. So mm, yeah. that involves printing it in a certain orientation where it's the strongest. So, you know, you're along a certain layer is going to be stronger than in between the layers. And also they don't beef the material up enough. So like, sure you can print with a millimeter thick wall, but if that runs into anything, it's going to snap or if it heats up, then it's going to droop more easily. So I'll usually make my things overbuilt. So like I can drop my stuff on the ground and not have to reprint it. Or hit it with a hammer or a hatchet. So, (laughs) um, you know, that, that's a good point is that the things have to be designed to be 3D printed. And I, I keep going back to wood because a lot of this is very similar. 3D prints have a grain to them just like wood does. And you have to know which way the, 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 the layers are because it's going to be stronger against those layers than it is with the layers. And that's where a lot of the stuff breaks off. But you have to print it a certain way where it's building up. And that's where it becomes weak is between the layers. Does that make sense? 
Yeah. So um, I'll, I'll use this as an opportunity to talk about material properties. So most of your ideal materials like metals and um, like concrete will be, uh, they'll have the same material properties all the way through. Mm -hmm. So whether you pull it in the, there's like three different directions, X, Y, and Z, which we're familiar with from 3D printing. If you pull it in all three different directions, it'll be the same strength. Um, and that's something that's really good about solid injection molded parts and like metal parts is they'll be strong in all, all three directions. But if you look at materials like a 3D printed using uh, FFM or fused filament modeling or FFF or whatever you want to call it, the filament based process, um, you'll, if you're doing, if you're printing layer by layer, I know there's some more complex stuff going on with non-planar slicing. But if you're printing just one layer at a time, then you'll end up with the strongest material in the X and Y direction, but in the Z direction, it'll be weak. And when you look at wood, wood is actually one step uh, further than 3D printed materials because wood is weak in the X and Y direction, but strong in the Z. Uh, if you imagine like a tree growing out of the ground, the Z direction is the strongest, and then X and Y is weak. So 3D, I think a lot of people talk a lot about how 3D printed parts can never be used for X or Y application because they've got these uh, different material properties in different directions. But people have been building things with wood for thousands of years, hundreds of thousands of years. And doing even. it the exact same way. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's a material that's highly anisotropic, which means that the materials are different in, in different directions. So like wood, if you load it along the grain, it's about 10 times stronger than across the grain. Uh, you'd probably have a better estimate on that guy. Would you say that's uh, every, every piece of wood is different. Okay. Every piece of wood is unique. No, I'm serious. Every piece of wood is unique. Yeah. It's a natural you know, growing thing right. that continues to move even after you cut it down. It continues to change because it, 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 absorbs and releases water it's just a big pack of straws all the the xylem and the phloem tubes going yeah. through it um so we're not going to get into that right now so yeah we're we're getting into your other podcast the, yeah the yep. shop, uh which, which is fascinating in its in its own way um but yeah so with 3D printed materials, you're about twice as strong in the X and Y directions than the Z. Mm -hmm. And with wood, you're it's like 10 or 20 times. So yeah. I, I think 3D printed isn't that big of a limitation. It has more to do with the way people are designing things. And that's what I was really driving at when I mentioned that, is when you design the part, you have to think about stuff like that. And a lot of things you find are not like that. And the way they have it, design as well. I'm, I, I don't want to put supports on it, so I want to lay it flat this way. Well, if you lay it flat this way, you're going to lose all its strength. Right. So you have to flip it this way and use supports. And I, I, I would rather have a scarred piece from supports that actually works and is strong than the opposite. Does that make so sense? One, one of the issues how that intersects with our topic of the day. Yeah. One of those issues is when you get a model and you download it online, you don't know 
what that person who designed it knows or if they've tested it or how strong it ends up being. So I think that's where having models that are vetted that a lot of people have printed and they're like, yeah, this model's good. That's where that comes in handy because you'll probably find that the models that everybody likes are the ones that are designed well enough that they don't break easily. Yeah. yeah. That's one thing I like about printables is, or it's just very popular and usually there's a thumbnail of the print. And so then you can look at it and see how those layer lines are on their part or see other makes from other people to see how they oriented it and how those layer lines are stacked up to see what's working for other people or where other people say, Oh, it breaks. So you got to print it sideways or, you know, yeah. things well, like that. I, I don't want to really, really go into the weeds, but you know, resin printing changes a lot of that too, but that's a topic for another day. <laughs> do any of us have resin printers? I do. Oh, you got one. Okay. I do. Yeah, I have I one. You don't have one, Nathan? I don't. Um, no? yeah. Resin is uh, more um, isotropic, so it's like injection molded plastic and metal where it's roughly the same strength in all different directions. And it's very unstrong. Is that a word? Yeah. Unstrong? <laughs> it's very well, weak. It, yeah, it, there's it, materials... stuff shatters and it's brittle. And Yeah, it's... so there's, there's brittle materials and then there's more ductile materials. Um, and I think one of the issues with resin prints is if you leave them in the sun, they'll get brittle over time. Even if they are pretty tough when they're done printing, mm -hmm. they'll eventually end up being brittle if they're left outside. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like we were saying, uh, it's very important that if you're designing stuff like this to think about stuff like that. And I, I, and I, I know a lot of people don't, um, I've watched a couple of videos. I can't remember who did them, but they're taking, you know, regular FDM models for, you know, the, the, the regular filament style printers. And they were orienting them on the build plate the same way they do for resin, which is off the build plate and angled. And then they use supports. And I think that's one of the upcoming features that's going to be in the new Prusa slicer where it does tree supports in FDM modeling. Does that make sense? Does it not do tree supports now? No. Yes and no. Oh, because Cura has tree supports. Yes, right. it does. I, I was playing around Love with <laughs> I was playing around with Prusa and Cura, and I noticed that Cura has tree supports and Prusa doesn't. But one issue with the Cura tree supports is I was trying to slice a model. And I was like, all right, I'm going to have to walk away from my computer for a couple minutes because this is taking a while. Taking a while for what? Just so I'm uh, printing out this, uh, this full-sized helmet right now. And yeah. for slicing this thing, I would click slice and then close that window and go do other things. Oh, it just it take, takes, takes I don't know how long generate. it actually took. But if you sat there looking at it, it takes forever to slice something large and all the tree supports going up through it. Um, you can yeah. do that in Cura, not in Cura, but in Prusa Slicer, because they have a profile for their SL1 resin printer. Oh. And what you do is you say you're going to print it on that, and then you export it, huh. and then re-import it. And then you can, <laughs> does that make sense? You that export it as a- workaround for that. Yeah, it's a workaround. You export it, and then you re-import it as a- you know, a filament-based 
one and it'll work. I tried it. Um, I, I, I guess there's, there's applications for it. Um, anyways, I thought I'd bring that up. I don't know if they do it in Super Slicer or not. I haven't tried it. So I can't remember where I saw that. That's uh, it sounds incredibly hacky, but if it works, it works. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. None of us do hacky things. Nathan. Right. No, we've never <laughs> hacked anything. <laughs> That's part of the game, man. You got to play around with stuff and, and 3d modeling and making your own parts and designer parts. It's the same thing. I mean, it's a process. You don't ever expect to, to go in. Well, I've got this part to make. I've got my set of calipers and I know exactly what I'm going to do. And you do it and I've got a two hour print and you make it. And it's like, well, hell's bells. This thing doesn't work because I'm a, mil- a millimeter off on this one hole. Or right. as Nathan said, you know, 0.1 millimeters off can make a difference. So um, you have to be really willing to commit to the time and effort it takes to do prototyping and things like that. How about how many prototypes do you do on stuff when you do that, that kind of stuff, Nathan? So typically I'll do between three and 10 to get something really (laughs) dialed in. It's a long process. And um, one thing I always recommend is if you can reuse an old prototype to try and prove out the changes that you're doing on the next version, then do it. So like if you're, if you're thinking, oh, this hole just needs to be moved over a little bit, then get a drill out and move the hole over a little bit so that you can see if that actually works before you print out a whole nother thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and another one of my favorite ways to modify my, um, my printed objects is with a torch or a heat gun. So I get the torch out and burn it a little bit. Or, I mean, you don't want to burn it, but you want to melt it a little bit. You melt it. Yeah. Soften it a little bit. Yeah. So it becomes soft and you can move it around a little and then it'll cool back down. And that lets you try out like, well, what would happen if this wall was a little bit over that way a little bit further? Or like, do I need to move this left or right? You know, it's just uh, reusing parts that are going to go in the trash anyways. <laughs> yeah, you're, like you're, you're taking something that's a, a static piece. You're applying an external force to it and making it dynamic. And then you can use that to do whatever. It's it's pretty simple, but, you know, it's it's effective. You're going to yeah. say something, JJ? I'm sorry. I, I was thinking off. for... for uh versioning of how many versions sometimes when i'm modeling something if i've got a small part or edge to it that i'm not sure if these screws would line up i'll print out just that little piece and it'll take you know five or ten minutes to print out just those sort of screw holes to see if things are spaced correctly um or printing out little bits and pieces of that full model instead of doing the whole thing every single time can make prototyping super quick yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's true. Like if you have a hole pattern that's all the way on the top of your model, you can just slice that off and print that instead of printing the entire model and then only to find out that oh I needed to move the hole over. Yeah, the slightest change instead of doing the whole thing over again. Yeah. That's a good point. When when you when you're doing the prototyping, do you care about the print quality or are you just looking to have it done so you can slap it in there to see if it fits and then finalize it afterwards? Usually it's fast and thin for the first, depending on what I'm doing. Um, but a lot of times I'll just print it quick, 100 millimeters a second, one or maybe two walls on the outside to see if it'll functionally work. 
Mm -hmm. If I really don't think it'll work, then yeah, it's like, let's use as little plastic as possible and get it done quick. Yeah. I'll second that. I, I just, that's, I think one of, I think that's one of the main motivations behind making a really fast printer. Like speed printing isn't really all that useful for most people, but if you're prototyping and you're iterating like over and over again, then that can take a week long design process and condense it down into one or two days. Sure. That's yeah. why I love the the Voron V0.1 that I have. It's small and quick. And so you can't print large things on there, but it can do small things very quickly. And for quick little bitty prototyping, it's great for that. Yeah, I think the bet on that is is more than large enough to do most prototypes for stuff that that we're going to modify yeah. on a on a printer. And that's mm-hmm. most of the time when you're when you're doing the the, the prototyping, it's for parts for your printer or another printer mm-hmm. or something that you're messing around with. So the Voron, yeah. the I've looked at that and I'm I've seriously mm-hmm. considered building one. I'm yeah, it was a lot of fun. I'm on the edge. I'm on the edge. But how many, uh, most things I print fit inside that small 120 millimeter cube anyways. And so I've been impressed with how much I could do with it after printing it. Yeah. Yeah. I would say like 90% of models can fit in a 180 by 180 uh, Mm -hmm. millimeters build plate and smaller. You you probably fit like 80% of stuff like, uh, yeah. 140 by 140. I think what size what is the Voron Zero? This is 120 by 120. 120 by 120. Um, but you can still print probably 75% of models out there can fit on that. Or you could just scale it down a little bit and print's great anyways. So Yeah, I know all those, that new wave of the small cantilever style printers, are. those are mostly 180 by 180, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the Ender Two Pro is one sixty by one sixty, and mm-hmm. the uh, oh, wow. Tronxy Crux that I reviewed was one eighty by one eighty. And I think the um, King Rune Pro KP3S Pro, I think it's two hundred by two hundred. Oh, nice. That's, That's pretty, pretty decent size. Yeah. Yeah. Especially for a cantilever like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's all. That's all linear rails, right? Mm-hmm. On that machine. So it makes it very rigid. Yeah structure yeah yeah wow all right have anything else you want to throw in there on 3d modeling and finding stuff or do you think we covered it are the the Uh, legs up in the air yet i think we're yep i think we're pretty good on that uh what what do you have jj oh just a few other benefits for printables that i would push people to use printables uh there's a point system that you can like do various things if you publish models if you submit makes um and you get points and you can spend them on getting printable fill uh prusa filament yeah and stuff and they also do contests on there um just little fun community things that i have not seen anywhere else yeah the um, nice thing about those contests is when they have them for practical stuff as there's yeah. a lot of very very smart talented people way yeah. more talented and smart than i am that come up with some of these great designs. And that's where I go quite a bit is the contest page to see mm-hmm. what those people have done. And that's, it's pretty cool. I'll, I'll, I'll agree with that. Yeah. So, all right. Um, I think that's going to do it for the show. Then. And I, thanks for stopping in guys. And hopefully 
next time we do this, Nathan will be able to join us. He's going to be on vacation. I'm not, yeah. not going to say where, <laughs> but he'll be gone. So maybe we'll see him and maybe he, we won't, but I hope we do. Um, remember, we really need some questions and participation from you, the listeners. So make sure to go to perfectfirstlayer.com, go to the submit page and ask us those questions. Nathan, why don't you tell everyone where you can be found? I'm on YouTube, Nathan Builds Robots. And JJ? I'm on YouTube as well at JJ Shankles. Okay, and I can be found at Guy's Shop, hopefully one day, but search for Guy's Wood Shop anywhere and my stuff will come up. And uh, thanks everybody for listening and uh, it was a good talk. We'll see you guys on the next show, all right? See ya. Bye.